Hey, thanks for checking out this week's message. We hope you're blessed by the Word of God. For more information on River of Life, you can check out our website, rolmt.com, or download our app. Just search R-O-L-M-T in your app store. Thanks. Great job, Vance. Give Vance a round of applause. Come on. That'll preach. Right? Good work, man. And thank you for being here with those teenagers last night and keeping, keeping the house safe. Kind of, right? And I heard they had over 50. I was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to come into today when we get into the church? Because they were all over this building playing this game. Uh, but how, how many of you know it's exciting to know that the youth are coming to church? Yes. And it's great that they came out for a game, but I'm telling you, they're coming out on Wednesday nights and they're worshiping and they are hearing God's word. And we're just really excited. I can tell you, when, when we, whenever I talk about our kids ministry, our youth ministry, it excites me because that means the church is alive. And I know that, the, I know that our kids are learning. I, I had a mom talk to me just a little bit ago and she was saying, you know, uh, she was reading her child a, a Bible story this week and, and her child said, you know, Mom, these are true. And she said, yeah, I know they're true. And she said, he said, no, you got to know this is true. This is real. Miss Nikki said, these are true stories. Amen. There's too many people saying they're not. We got we to put it in them, right? Pack them a lunch. So I'm, I'm excited about that. It was a super exciting Thursday night to come out here and just worship together. Man, it was good. You missed out. We'll be doing it again, but Encounter, first time we've been able to have a night of worship uh, with Pastor Seth being here because of COVID and all the other stuff going on. Uh, and we weren't sure. We weren't sure how many people were going to show up. We're like, well, we've done these in the past, and you might get 20, you might get 30. We had 130-some people show up on Thursday night to worship, and it was good. So we are excited about what God is doing, and, uh, and just all over the place. We're, we're hearing great things coming out of Malawi and great things coming out of Wyoming. And so just continue to pray. I know that it feels like this weird season where COVID is hit and everything is like up in the air. But how many of you know, and we're going to get into this starting next weekend, God's kingdom is not up in the air. It is forever. And so we're going we're to dig into that a bit in the weeks to come. But I wanted to do one more message in the, in the Extreme Home Makeover uh, series because I really feel like we kind of need to wrap this up. So we're going to look uh, for just a few moments at Ezekiel chapter 43, starting at verse 12. It says this, this is the law of the temple. All the surrounding area on top of the mountain will be most holy. Such is the law of the temple. These are the measurements of the altar in long cubits. That cubit uh, being a cubit with a cubit and a hand breadth. Uh, it's, it's gutter and cubit deep and a cubit wide with a rim of one span around the edge. Let's pray. God, in the next few moments as we look at your word, I pray, Father, that you will reveal something new to us, that you'll show us what we need to see. God, as we have walked through a series and a season where we have said, listen, we're gonna dive in and we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna go to battle on behalf of our families. And so, God, I know that there are those who have been, who've been fasting and praying and worshiping and just believing that things are going to change. And we are so grateful, God, because you are a God who is able. 
Lord, you're not a God who is far off and aloof and doesn't care, but God, you are ready to activate and to do what needs to be done in order to, to bring life to our families. So God, as we look at this one last message, I pray, God, that you'll illuminate it for us, that wherever we are in our relationship with you, that God, you'll draw us closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. amen. Now, that verse that I read, you're like, okay, Jason, I have no idea what you're talking about. Amen, thank you. Nice to have you in the house, Ashley. That was Ashley, right? Um, well, for, for the guys in the house, we're doing this extreme home makeover series, and we've talked really not a lot about building. And so I, I went to this verse as we look at the building of the temple. And so I began to look at this, and I began to, to look at it in maybe a little bit different way. But I want you to understand what's being said here. God is giving instructions for his house to be built. So he's saying, listen, I, I'm going to give you some instructions. You're going to follow these instructions. This house is important to me. This is going to be where the presence of God resides. And so you got to do it right. This isn't going to be something that you just throw together. It's going to be something where I'm going to give you specific instructions so that it can look the way I need it to look. It can be the way I need it to be. And so he begins to spell out this idea of how they are to measure every piece of this, of this thing that they're putting together. Um, and so as we look at this, I want to explain a couple of things to you. First of all, it keeps using this term cubit. So it, it, is, it is a certain amount of cubits long, a certain amount of cubits wide. And you may go, what does that mean? I'll just tell you right now, they didn't have tape measures back then. So a cubit was essentially, it was from the elbow to the tip of the middle finger. That was the length of a cubit. Everybody say cubit. Stay with me for a moment. We're getting somewhere, I promise. All right. The cubit also was at the man's hand width from, from the four fingers, it was six of those, right? So if you do that right now, men, if you take and you, and you do that with, and I, I think it works for women as well, but I know that it for sure works with men, but it should be about six by the time you reach the tip of your fingers. So that was how they would measure things. They, they would measure things by cubits. So as we look at this verse, we need to understand that cubit in Hebrew means amah, it mean, or the, the word is pronounced amah, and it means mother or the beginning. Now, as we look at this, at this particular story and we begin to understand that God has, has very specific things in mind, it is not enough to think something or to wish it to be, but we actually have to build it. So a cubit also means beginning. And, and, and it means to create or to move. And so we look at this idea of, of the cubit and, and, and many, uh, well, in scripture, you'll even see where, where it refers to this as the mother part of your arm. Now, why is that? Because your mind can dream all kinds of things, but it takes your arm to give birth to it. You've got to do something. You've got to work. You've got you've to put motion to whatever it is that God has placed inside of you. And so we begin to look at this, and, and as we understand that, 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 that a cubit is six of a man's hand, six is the number of man. As we look at biblical numbers, we see that whenever six is involved, it's referring to what man can do. Now, when we're building the temple, though, it's interesting because it's a cubit plus what? One more width of a man's hand. So it now is seven widths of a man's hand. Stay with me for a moment, okay? Some of you are like, I don't know what this even means to me. Come on. Hey, I need a whiteboard. Yeah, that would... You don't want me, you don't want me writing on a whiteboard. We, 
We have one up in our, in our, meeting, in our room where we do our staff meetings. And, the, and I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And I started to write, and my handwriting was horrific. So I made Nikki get up and do it for me. So six represents man, but seven is God's number. We see that throughout Scripture. We see that throughout Scripture, even in, in stories like as they marched around the city of Jericho, they marched around, and it was this, by the sixth time, nothing had changed. Why? Because it was all on man and what man could do. It was the seventh time, because that's God's number, that things began to change. So, so God is saying, I want you to build my house, but I don't want you to just use a cubit. I want you to use a cubit plus one, because it isn't about man and what man can do. You need me involved in it. Now, knowing that, we can look back at that first verse of Ezekiel, and we can see that God is saying, listen, I want to be involved, and you need me involved in order to make this what it needs to be. You want to raise your children in this day and age, put God's hand in the design. You want your marriage to make it when everyone else is failing, put God in the center of it. In an increasingly wicked world, where right has become wrong and wrong has become right, the only way that you will survive is if you will put God's hand in the middle of your home. We see people build amazing things, build amazing businesses, build amazing careers, all of those things. We can see that, but then we'll often see where there will be this void or this hole that, that never gets to be fulfilled and they, and they become a mess or their marriage is a mess, even though their business is successful. And the reason is, is because man can build all kinds of things, but unless we have the seventh hand, we need the blessing of God on what we're doing. Now, obviously, we're talking in this series about family, and so maybe you sit in the room and you're like, well, I'm not even married, or I'm a young person, and I'm not there yet. Can I just tell you, it applies in so many areas of your life that you've got you've to call in the seventh hand to what you're doing. See, we're in, we in a society right now where it is, it is crazy. I, every time I, I turn on the news or I, I, look at, I look at social media or my kids will send me stuff like, Dad, did you see this? This week I got, I got sent this post and it was, it was that now uh, these gender reveal parties, that, that, that's, that's not okay anymore because a child should get to choose their gender when they get older. Right is wrong and wrong is right and everything's upside down and there's no truth anymore. And I'm telling you right now, we can only get so far on a cubit. We need the other hand to bring us to where God is calling us to be. Before this scripture, there had always been just the sixth hand width. That's what they would measure by. So it was all on man's effort. But God said, when it comes to my house... We're going to add a hand. We're going to make it better. We're going to, I'm going to be involved in it. Can I tell you, as I was thinking about that scripture, even today, I was kind of reviewing this, and I realized something that I was reminded of something today, that is, is that when God said we're going to build this temple, he knew this is where the presence of God is going to reside. And as you look in Old Testament, you see that that is where, the, where God's presence was. And there was all these things that you had to go through. And only certain people could actually step into the presence of God. And then Jesus dies on the cross. And the temple veil is torn. And the presence of God becomes accessible to us. And we become the temple of God. And it changes everything. 
So as we understand that, what we need to understand is that when this temple is being built, we need the seventh hand. We can't just do it on our own strength. I was, I was brought to the story of Elijah, and, and Elijah is, has just come from, from the mountain, and he's, and he's taking care of the prophets of Baal, and he's, and he's got his, his servant with him, and they, they go to the mountain, and they begin to pray, and they're praying that this famine would end and that rain would come, and so they're praying, and, and Elijah's, Elijah's just digging in, and he's praying hard, as many of you have done even this week as you've been praying for your family. I want to pause here for just a minute because I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Uh, uh, it would it would have been awesome. It'd be awesome to hear because I believe, and I even had just I just had a, a mom talk to me, and she's like, "Man, God's doing something. I'm seeing some things move that I've not seen move before." And some of you may be sitting there going, "Well, I haven't seen anything move yet." Can I tell you? There's a lot of times that God is moving that you're not seeing it, and it's coming. I, I go back to the Jericho thing. They marched six times around, and it wasn't like things were like starting to shake while they were doing it. It all looked the same. Nothing had changed, but they kept marching. They kept believing. They kept doing what God called them to do. And as they did that, they got to the seventh time. And when they did, everything changed. And so for some of you, you need to hear that today because you've been praying, you've been leaning in. Some of you have been fasting. You've been believing that God's going to do something and it hasn't happened yet. But I'm telling you, God is faithful. He's moving. So as Elijah is praying and he's digging in, every time he prays for a little while, he goes, hey, to his servant, he said, run, run around that bank and look and see if you see anything. And his servant ran and went and looked and nothing. So he came back. There's nothing, Elijah, nothing's changed. And so he, goes, he prays again and, and he sends him out again. And I said he had a servant to go do the running for him, but he, he sends him. Send, it's like an intern, right? You just, you go. And he sends him, and he, and he goes, and nothing, and nothing, and nothing. We get to 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 43, and now he's, he's done this six times already. And he says, go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and he looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. On the seventh time, Elijah said to go back. The seventh time the servant, servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. We need the seventh hand. We need that hand over our children. We need that hand over our marriage. We need to understand that it's, it's only when we allow his hand into our situation that things can change supernaturally. Some of you are strong and you're smart and you're good and you can do a lot with, with that cubit. You can make a lot of things happen. You can go, well, I've got grit and I've got, I've, got, I've got sweat power and I'll just put sweat equity into it until it works. But some of you, your marriage is on the brink and you're, and you're about to give up because you're like, I don't know how to, how to do any more than what I've already done. And I'm telling you, then call on, this, on the seventh hand because it changes everything. The Bible says to train up a child in the way that they should go. In other words, do your part, do your work. They may rebel, they probably will. They may do stupid, in fact, I know they will. But if the house was built on the seventh hand, when they are old, they shall not depart from it. When we build the house right, 
and feel as though well, we have come up short, there's a seventh hand that comes into play. Because I'll tell you what, right now, you will come up short. You will. We all do. We all grow weary. We get tired. It gets hard. We don't understand why things aren't working the way that we think they should. And it's in those moments that we need to understand, I didn't build this with a cubit. I build it with a cubit plus the width of one. Because it's different. Because my expectation is that this isn't any other building. It is God's building. Psalm chapter uh, 127 says, Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hand. In biblical times, there was no Cabela's. I don't know if you know that or not. But you did not go and purchase pre-made arrows. You made them. You sharpened them. Men, if you've been trusted with children, your job didn't end with creating them. That's the easy part. It is. And unfortunately, society has twisted things. You hear, oh, this guy slept with that girl. You're the man. You're the man. My dog can have sex. I don't go out there going, you're the man. (laughs) Some of you are uncomfortable right now. That's fine. (laughs) Can I tell you, your job doesn't end there. Your job is to raise them in the way that they should go. You are to shape them You are to sharpen them. You are to invite his hand over them. Problem is, as men, we have become disinterested. We go back to the bow and arrow analogy. The arrows are formed by the archer for what? To be shot. You have a short season with your children to form them well so that when you shoot them, they will fly straight and hit the target. If you skip out on forming, you will pay for it in the flight. If you skip out on sharpening, you will pay for it in the landing. Many of us have gotten to a place where we just feel like our job is to just go get the paycheck. Our job is to, to uh, you know, work hard and play hard. And I'm telling you right now that God has entrusted you with children. And with that, it is your job. It's not an option, it's not a question, it's your job. I have watched over this last season my children leave my house and all of a sudden I'm realizing what it is to have to release. Except for my oldest one who decided to work for me and he played himself. (laughs) So how do we shape them? What do we do? How does that even, what does that even look like? Well, the first thing is this. It's the word. It's the word, and it's, and it's that, again, that story that I just shared with you a moment ago about this young boy just saying, Mom, it's true. Mom, it's true. The stories in that book, they're true. And they have to be true. 
I'm, I'm hearing it more and more that people are just removing and removing and removing what is, what is, what is inconvenient in this book. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna shape your child to say, hey, if you don't like it, take it out, they're not flying very far. So we have to shape them with that. We have to understand the other thing is as parents, limits are good. Boundaries are good. Don't think your job is to be your child's friend. It is not. They have lots of friends. And they won't think of you as, your, as their friend anyhow. It's not like they're going to be like, hey, come with us, mom. We're going to the mall. Okay, we're at the mall. Drop us off, mom. I didn't really actually want you to come in, right? Lit limits are good. You know what the best way to shape your child is? Example. Show them. We can say all we want. You can lecture them. You can tell them. But let them watch you do it. And when you do it, all of a sudden now, it becomes real to them. Now, don't get me wrong. They may still go through a season where they step away, where they rebel, whatever. But that will always be ingrained in their mind that mom and dad, they loved God. They chased God, and they may have to hit the bottom before they come back, but they will come back because the Word says if you do this right, if you raise them in the way they should go, they're coming home, Mom and Dad. They're coming home, Mom and Dad. Some of you are struggling to believe that. And I'm sorry that you're struggling to believe that because some of you have been fighting for a while, and it's hard. They're coming home, mom and dad. First Samuel chapter three, verse 11 says this. Then the Lord said to Samuel, I'm about to do a shocking thing in Israel. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family. From beginning to end, I have warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his son's are blaspheming God, and he hasn't disciplined them. So I want to look at this for a moment because this is serious. God is saying, listen, I've trusted you with your children. I've asked you to do to raise them in a certain way. And, and in this, he says, the reason Eli's in trouble isn't because his kids could go off the rails, but if he was disciplining them and trying to keep them in, in check, he would have been fine. But because he just said, well, it's fine, boys will be boys. God says, I'm not okay with that. I've trusted you with these kids and I need you to follow through with what I've asked you to do. Shape them, sharpen them, and shoot them out. Keep the word out at the end of that sentence. Some of you want to just shoot them. I get it. <laughs> but when you shoot them out, guess what happens? The seventh hand goes with them. When you invite that seventh hand into the scenario, it goes with them. Third John 4. I could have no greater joy than to hear that my children are following the truth. As you as a parent reach your limit, when your spouse and you have nothing else to give, 
understand that you, you may have used your sixth hand, but there's a seventh hand waiting. And we've got to get to a place as parents again where we understand the best achievement that we can ever have is that our children serve God. Some of us, man, we, we want to teach them how to be good with money, and you should. And, and we want to teach them, we want to teach them all kinds of stuff. But I'm telling you, if they leave the house and they don't understand that God is, it should be the, the centermost point of their life, then we've failed. We've not done it right. And some of you, maybe your kids have already left, and you go, well, Jason, this would have been great 12 years ago to hear this. I'm just telling you right now, like I said last week, we got to pack them a lunch. And if they choose not to do what God's calling them to do, then it's time to lay them on the altar and just say, God, I'm trusting you with my child. It's an amazing thing. The, the, the mom that I was talking to before church, she told me that she came on, on Thursday and she was, she was praying and she just felt like God said, you need to release this situation into my hands and you need to not carry it anymore. And so she did. She just said, I, I, just, I just had this moment where I was like, God, I've been trying to figure out how to make things happen. And every time I just get so frustrated. And so I'm going to hand it to you and I'm going to trust you with it. And she said, even throughout the rest of the week, things kept popping up and she just kept going, nope, it's not mine. It's God's. Nope, it's not mine to worry about. I'm handing it to God. I've done what I can with the six hands. I'm ready for that seventh hand to step in and make the change. What you can't complete, he can complete. Man, I want to end this series by encouraging you for just a moment. This is the greatest responsibility that you have. You will not stand before God someday and be able to say, well, I actually put my wife in charge of my kid's spiritual growth, even though that's maybe what you've done. God's not going to be okay with that. He's not going to go, oh, okay, well, that's fine. Hey, how was your business? What's your bank account look like? He's not interested in that because that's not what he charged you with. Man, are you still with me? Four of you are. That's nice. Um, six. Okay. Six. We're killing it now. So I want to look at the original story in Genesis. God creates all this stuff and he puts man and woman in the garden and he's, he's explained to them, hey, you have dominion over all of this. You can do whatever you want. This is yours. How amazing is that? Like I've created you for each other and, and you've got the best of the best. I can't even imagine what the garden looked like. And he says, but there's this one tree right here. Don't touch it. It's, it's not for you. Everything else is for you. But isn't it just like man? The one thing we're not supposed to do. So the enemy comes and does what the enemy does. He lies. He says, yeah, God doesn't want you to eat at that, off of that tree because if you do, you'll be like him and you'll have even more than you have now. And so, you know, it'll be fine. It's not going to hurt you. And so uh, we pick up this story and, and the woman, here we go, Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, uh, that it was pleasant to the eye, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, 
And they saw that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking through the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? That's an interesting passage of scripture. First of all, let's just unpack this a little bit. The enemy uh, deceives the woman and she is first to take of the fruit, but then she passes it to Adam and he also partakes of it. But in this story, we see that they now see they're naked. They now understand that they've made a mistake. And so they go and they hide themselves from God. Now, the thing that I find interesting about this story, and it was actually, we, we did a series in men's group where this was brought to my attention. I'd never really thought about it before, but the woman was the one that instigated this thing. But when God comes looking, in fact, other translations don't say Adam, it says, man, where are you? Why? Because he had put man in charge and it doesn't matter how it happened. It just matters that it did happen. So the buck stops with the man. Man, where are you? Do you think God didn't know where they were? He's like, man, where'd those guys go? He knew where they were. I'll let you in. If you don't know the answer to that, he did know where they were. He wasn't saying, man, where are you? I can't find you. He was saying, man, where are you with me? Where are, why, why? I've given you everything. I've given you the ability to rule. But yet you choose this. The woman instigates, the man follows, just as guilty. I know you hear people preach, it's the woman's fault. Not true. He didn't say no. It was both of them. But when God calls, he doesn't say, man and woman, where are you? He says, man, where are you? And I believe that today God is saying to his church, man, where are you? Because even as we look at this story, we begin to understand that that many of us have hidden ourselves. Many men in the church today are hiding themselves because they feel guilty about some of the things that they've done. You maybe have a struggle, an addiction, something that you're dealing with. And so instead of coming and saying, God, I'm going to lay this at your feet. Instead, I'm going to hide myself. And God is saying, man, where are you? You go, well, I work all week. And, and as far as the kids going to church, I think it's fine if they want to go to church. But, but I'm going to leave that up to my wife to make those decisions because that's her area. Not according to the Bible, it's not. Man, where are you? Step up. I know I'm preaching this to the wrong crowd because you're all in the house. (laughs) Share it with a friend. (laughs) Now your friend's going to go, oh, that's how he sees me. Great. Um, I believe that God's asking that question again. I want to just challenge you guys. This isn't a... This isn't a put down to you. I just really feel like as we step into what I believe is going to be one of the hardest seasons that the Western church has ever seen. I'm sorry if that's not what you want to hear. I believe it to be true, though. I believe we're coming into the end times. And when we do, things are going to get harder and harder 
and harder. Dads, we need to step up. Moms, we need to step up. We've got to realize this has got to be the priority. Church can't be the hobby on the weekend. God can't be the thing that we talk about on occasion when it, when it seems convenient. It needs to be something that we're instilling inside of our children. Because when that turbulent time comes, we need to know that they know who God is. It's amazing to me because even as we, as we talk about this, I, I, keep, I hear church after church after church that are adopting things that are not in the Word. It sounds good. It feels good. It'll make way more people want to come to church. Who cares? Who cares? If you're bringing them into a thing with a false doctrine and not truth, you're actually setting them up for failure. God brings the increase when we put it in his hand. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7 so then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God gives the increase. What does that mean? See, we can do things by our own hand. We can, we can force things and try and make things happen. And we can, we can try and make our children into something that we want them to be. And maybe you'll be successful for a season. But I'm telling you right now, if we're going to build God's house, if we're going to set them up to be the temple of the Lord, we can't do it with just six hands. We need the seventh hand to come. Because it's that seventh hand that changes everything. For many of you in this place today, I don't know exactly where you're at. I, I've been praying this week. I know many of you have come to me and said, my kid is struggling. My kid is walking away or my kid has walked away. And I'll just tell you right now that every time I think about your children, I'm trying to pray. I'm trying to be faithful in that. I've been blessed that my kids are serving the Lord. I don't take that lightly. I don't, I, don't, I don't not think about that. My wife and I talk about it regularly, how proud we are that, that God gave us the ability and that he came alongside with that seventh hand and made up for our mistakes. And my son married an amazing woman who loves Jesus and loves to worship God and loves to come along. And we're blessed. Some of you are like, man, I wish we were there. But I'm telling you right now, allow that seventh hand in and watch what God can do. He can change everything. And I'm, I, I want you to hear this real quick. I don't know where your kid is, but I'm telling you right now, he's not, he or she is not too far gone. Pastor Angela last week told us, it was those moments that they said, they're building their testimony. Some of you are like, enough building already. It's good enough right now. Just come home. Tonight, we're going to close with just a little bit of worship. But I really feel like as we, as we end this series, it's not ending the fact that we're praying for our kids. It's not ending the fact that we're praying for our spouses. It's not ending the fact that we're praying for the lost to come home. Like I told you last week, I felt like this week wasn't like this is the be all and end all. This is the war cry to the start of the most important battle of your family's life. So we don't just stop because the week ended. We, we won't stop until they come home. 
So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because I want, I want to just pray with you. We're going to, we're going to open up the altars because I feel like for some of you tonight, you need to go, you know what? I've been trying under my own ability. And even as I talked to this mom just a little while ago, and she said, I had to come to a place where I really did just lay it down. Some of you got plans and schemes and things that you think might work that will bring your child back to right relationship with God or even maybe right relationship with you. And I'm telling you, don't do that. That's, that's six man's hands. You got to invoke the seventh because then things will change. Let's pray right now. God, I just pray over every person within the sound of my voice. Whether they're in this room, they're watching online, they're in Wyoming or in Malawi, wherever they are, God, we are just praying right now and believing as a church family that, God, you are going to, you are going to change things. So, God, we are asking for that seventh hand. We're asking, God, for you to step into our story, for you to step into our child's story, for, God, for you to do what only you can do. God, we've been marching around the city walls six times and we're exhausted, but we're going to do it one more time because we're believing that in the seventh is when things change. So God, I just pray over every person in the sound of my voice that right now, God, you would change things, that you would change their heart, that they'd be able to lay this down and lay it at your feet and know that, God, you are good and that you are in control. We pray over every child that is not serving you right now. God, I just pray miraculous that, God, you would change the heart, that, God, you would remove scales from the eyes, that, God, you would invoke truth, that, God, there would be somebody that would come into their life, that, Lord, would show them how much you love them, that, God, those who have been hurt by religion, God, I pray that they would realize this isn't about religion, it's relationship with you that changes everything. So, Father, we praise you. We give you all the glory today. And Lord, we're just going to spend the next few moments in a battle cry, in war, believing that you are the God who can change all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, thanks for listening. River of Life is a ministry in East Missoula, Montana. We exist for one purpose, to make Jesus famous by showing his love to the lost, broken, and hurting. For more information, you can check us out online at rolmt.com. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus today, we'd love to talk to you about what comes next. Shoot us an email at nextstep at rolmt.com. Thanks.